The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler. With my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's going on, everybody? So today, we actually have a special guest, Travis Wu. He'll be on in a quick second. I want to remind all you guys that uh, we have a Twitter account. Please tweet us while you're listening. We will tweet right back at you while it's happening so you can get some by-the-by, play-by-play reactions to us while Ooh. you're listening to the podcast. I like that. Uh, our Twitter is at the MMCast. You can also do at Kessweiler, at Ben Bateman Media. On all social media also, platforms. If you want to Instagram Ben, <laughs> pictures of weird stuff instead of the Ben, he will definitely enjoy it, which is weird. I don't even know where you're going with this, Kessler. Let's <laughs> just right. go to the guest. Let's just go to the guest. <laughs> so today we're talking about, uh, you know, we're going to talk to Travis Vu about kind of what he's been up to and go through some of the decks he's created, some crazy off-the-wall ones, including Living End, which has done very well and is probably a Tier 2 deck. Uh, yeah, he top aided a Grand Prix with it. He's, yeah. Uh, he's pretty well known. A few he's... players have, like, done well with it. It's, yeah. it's definitely a deck to keep aware of, and it's really an interesting deck and in how it attacks the format. Um, All right, so Travis Wu. Master of brews and, uh, and 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 competitive and courageous modern brewer on the line. Yeah, so for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Travis was the inventor of the Living End deck. Yes. You... I mean, I invented the deck. Other people were inventing it simultaneously. I just got credit because I did well with it in tournament. So You top eight I mean, a pro tour with that deck? Was that right? Grand Prix. Grand Prix, so, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I am a creator of that deck. Okay. As a brewer, though, you have to see that probably happens a lot, right? Where there's a lot of people that have like a similar idea, but then the person that gets that places with it is sort of the person who gets credited. Exactly. You don't get credit for an idea; you get credit for executing on an idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. How long did you? Uh, how long did you mess around with that idea before you blew up in a tournament with it? I remember that. That's one of the most obsessive times I've had. Like, I got all the way to a limited grand prix and lost in the finals, and was like. Wanted to qualify so bad, and then I living in clicked in my head like hypergenesis was a thing at the time, and this was one of those things where I wasn't writing and I was like I have to keep this totally secret, can't tell anyone. And I practiced by myself, set up a gauntlet like two hours a night maybe. Wow. For a couple two weeks leading up to a PTQ maybe, got ninth at that PTQ on breakers and was like. I was like, screw this, I'm buying a ticket to Grand Prix Oakland. <laughs> um, kept training for that, basically. And then uh, when I got there, like, this is living end. The only matchups, this, the, the format was super, like, all wild in the cattle zoo. So it was just easy pickings. So, like, they're okay, the yeah. games. It, it was a metagame. They're like game. casting creatures to attack, and you're dumping your hand into your graveyard and being like, uh, I win? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the other big deck was Dark Depths, and I had four Fulminator Mage main, like, and four Ingachewers. So that happened to be, like, a really easy time because it was just homogenous, easy field. On and that note, do you think that uh, do you think that Dark Depths is should continue to be banned? Is that a card that you've ever looked at and been like, yeah, you could probably just unban this, or is it just way too much for modern? 
I mean, I don't care either way. Like, it would become one of the best decks immediately. Yeah. Like, would it be too good and oppressive? Maybe, maybe not. Like, it's pretty easily beatable with Ghost Court or Fulminator Mage. Or you just bounce like, the token. Bouncing the token's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely Half, beatable. Yeah. Like, I understand why it's on the banned list, but either way, it's fine. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, so I, you know, talking about how you decided to... You know, you, you realize that the Living End deck is, was a good metagame choice. Do you want to talk about a bit, like, how you would maybe look at a format and decide, oh, this is the deck I should be playing, or this kind of off-the-wall strategy is something that might be good in this environment? Yeah, where do you start, I guess, is the real question, because we're both kind of wacky brewers, too, but it's rare that somebody who's a wacky brewer gets to be as well-known and popularized as yourself. I mean, that's uh-huh. you're known for, like, you know, thinking outside the box and trying to push the limits, so where do you start? Do you just start with a card? Do you start with a format? That's a good question, and it depends heavily on the deck. Like, sometimes I start with a card. Sometimes I start with a combination of cards. Sometimes I start with a budget. Sometimes I start with a basic land. Sometimes I start with a metagame. <laughs> sometimes I start with a converted mana cost I like. So, I mean, it all depends. So I guess maybe let's look at it. So you've just been brewing, and you posted videos on Thursday or Friday, I think, for the Elvish Charbelcher deck that you've been uh-huh. brewing. Where did you kind of – why don't we, like, talk about where did you start with that deck and why – go around that path and where did you kind of think of that idea so the elf belcher deck for it starts off just on board like i build so many decks i need to do more and more extreme things to like you know get off and from a deck building perspective so <laughs> sure. I was like, in modern how do i i want to I, I built a 45 land deck last year i was like all right i want to build a deck that plays six or fewer lands so i started off with six lands in other vial because other vial is broken historically mana generation that seems to go well with the six land deck and then goblin charbelcher goes well with six lands obviously as a win condition so I went and started looking back at the history of those decks keep in mind obviously i've been playing tournament decks for over a decade so i kind of have uh just lists in my head memories of yeah, what cards paired yeah. well sort of thing yeah and then like I've never played Elves with Other Vile. You normally wouldn't play Land and War Elves with Other Vile, but if you're playing six lands, it makes sense too, because, you know, if you're playing an all-creature deck, you can just play Other Vile instead of a land. So from the starting point of six lands and then Other Vile, um, just took the best elements of Elves from tournament history that's still legal and modern and the best tools from Belcher kind of drawing off history and just combining a bunch of ideas so that's how that deck came together but every deck comes together different i was so skeptical when when kessler he was like hey look at this list look at this five land elves list and i was like that looks kind of absurd and then i you know i queued it up in my phone i started testing it i was like this is the coolest thing ever i was like why why don't i just have this sleeved up with somebody in front of me right now all i want to do is play this and win one game with it uh well and you also so you came like, the last two weeks, you also released another landless deck, which I think was where maybe where you started with, like, the no lands plan, which was the, like, self-mill combo um, you win off of, what's the wizard that lets you win? Laboratory your, Maniac? Yeah, Laboratory Maniac. Yeah, Lab Maniac. Kind of both of these, like, Chancellor of the Tangle, I win. I mean, like, after you posted both decks, I definitely went on SCG and bought 
I think 30 copies of Chance with the Tangle and completely bought them out. <laughs> well, it was like it's 25 cents right now, and I was like, well, there's no yeah. there's no loss here. I just like, yeah, if it goes up to a dollar, I've made like 30 bucks. <laughs> I did that. I did that with a gloom surgeon at one point. That didn't work out. <laughs> if there's a speculation from that deck, it's already expensive, but it's other vile. Like that card will continue. To oh go yeah. Up. 27 bucks now, but if you buy your playset for 100 or whatever, it'll be 200 at some point, I would guess. Card's so, like, so same good. for the Living End. Like, I had a friend who speculated on a Living End and bought 60 copies, and that after like six years, that's paid off. But if he just bought 10 Fulminator Mages, like, right, you know, he would have made his money like tenfold, points, like so. within a year. That's really interesting when you think about that. All, all those, like, like a card like Fulminator Major, a card like Ethervile, those are obviously good cards. They're obviously cards that right. were played when they were in Standard, and they're obviously cards people talk about. So it always feels like it's the same sort of situation when you talk about speculation, where it's, why didn't I just buy a case of this set and wait on it five years? Because it's clearly worth way, way, way more money now, and everybody knew it. Same with cards. I Almost mean, every set. Any set that was fun to draft, if you just held on the boxes, you'd be making money. It's bizarre. I mean, that, and when I say making money, I'm bunny earsing it because it's Magic the Gathering and you only get 50% on return. But Sure. <laughs> that takes money to begin with and patience, which is like a rare combination. There's people doing it, but... Right, 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 right. I guess there's probably better ways to invest your money long term if you're going to have a bunch of money and like six years to sit on it. There might not be the legacy like. Yeah. It's probably it seems so lucrative to have been investing in this whole time. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it I I go back and look at cards that I haven't paid attention to for a while and I'll be like that's worth $35 more than it used to be. How did that happen? Just some random right. card, you know. I mean, the decks that I've been building the long, like over the like the legacy decks, and I have like an all foil Geist EDH deck. The value on those have just quadrupled over the last four years, just like accidentally. Like I was like, oh, I'll pull up a, fa- a foil Snapcaster Mage for thirty bucks. Yeah, two hundred dollars later. The fact that Hierarch is like sixty to seventy dollars, right? That's, well, that'll change, but yeah, that's insane. I I remember trading those like eleven dollars a couple years ago. And that's how I bought them. I think them. the bubble for magic cards is the collapse of civilization. Like, <laughs> otherwise, it's just going to go up because there's a massive house of cards of people like me, and you're just so many people who are so invested in making magic work that it's going to work until like a collapse of civilization or whatever. So, like, I think magic's just a safe and pretty safe investment in general i think so too i mean it's a pretty it's definitely a pretty well designed and and continuously evolving game that i've been playing for 20 years and have not lost interest in so the question i wanted to ask you really quickly was we were gonna definitely gonna want to get back to another one of your uh, deck designs but i wanted to ask you when you are designing like this and you're putting a list together how do you do Uh it what do you use do you use gatherer do you use mtgo do you use an app on your phone do you just use every card in your collection in front of you on a table (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at this point, I feel like I don't know every card, but I know almost every relevant card. So I literally, I go without a phone or anything. I walk to the forest or the beach or something, and I pace in place, and I combine things, and I usually start with four ofs, a 20 or 24 lands, and then eight four ofs, nine four ofs, and build it on a curve and think about redundant cards, and then I come back, and I just type it up in a notepad, cost-sort it, and paste it, and then from there, I just build it on Magic Online. And there's some revision that comes through feedback or, like, other inventions, but, I mean, 
that's generally the process for most of the decks. Like, it doesn't happen in front of the computer or going through cards. It usually happens far, far from the internet. In your head, completely, for the most part. Yeah. That's interesting. See, I have the I have the same experience where I will be doing something else. I'll be riding my bike somewhere or something and listening to a podcast about sports or something. And then all of a sudden, a card will pop into my head and I'll feel the need to immediately pause whatever I'm doing and stop riding my bike and stand still as I think for five minutes about this idea. <laughs> because, like, all of a sudden there's this puzzle in my head that I feel like I have to solve. And oftentimes, and I don't know if you have the same experience, if I can't solve that puzzle, it'll be in there for months recurring every... Every like you know week or two weeks, that card will pop back into my head. I'll think of a new interaction, and I'll, and I'll go. The of other vile in your head. Why is this here? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Why is this card not seeing more play in this format? It's so good. How do I break it? <laughs> do you do you ever rule cards out when you're? I mean, are, like, so you said you've got every relevant card in your head. I've I've even gone as far as to try to use like moth dust changeling as a one drop in a modern deck before. Like, do you have cards? Oh, yeah. Say what? Mothless Changeling is the bridge between <laughs> Heritage Druid and Marrow Regery as an untapped engine with Cloudstone Curio, using either Silvergill Adept or Elvish Visionary to draw a card. So <laughs> Mothless Changeling is on my radar. It's, it's amazing. I, when, when I built my deck, I was trying to use like Mare of Aberbrook, Ethervile, Mothless Changeling, and like Spell Slutter Sprite, some sort of oh, weird. Wow. Like flash, like a so, so like weird flash deck where I could like attack with uh you know because Mare gives I can't even remember how it worked but yeah yeah but uh anyway so so you basically don't rule Kessler's like looking up the text on Moth Dust right now he's he's <laughs> we've gone too deep we've gone too deep um so well, you, for people that don't know it's the uh, single blue changeling that uh one one that you can tap another creature to give it flying yeah an untapped creature it's just a one one changeling that. That's why it's it's a one one changing for one. That's yeah. why it's relevant. It's everything you want it to be at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so that 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 is my question. Do you do you ever rule cards out? I mean, do you ever look at a card? Obviously, bears. Like you probably just rule out like a like a vanilla bear. But I mean, beyond like some cards, you look at a card that has an interesting ability and just go, "That's never going to be good." I try not to. Obviously, like in the past, I've just been like, "This card sucks." But I mean, that hasn't worked very well for me. Like for instance. Specifically, I can think of Simeon Spirit Guide in the Living End. I was so resistant to that for the longest time, and then I was like, this Simeon Spirit Guide is insane in the Living End. I always play right. 75 now. So, I mean, incidences like that make me like, I just try to rule nothing out if possible. So if you are, uh, if, if you're like doing a set review, you're looking at a new set, what do you look for when, when you're as a brewer and you want to push the limits like, you're going through that hundred and whatever new cards that comes out in a small set expansion, what one forty four or something. Uh, uh-huh. Are there specific things you look for? Like I know, I know financial speculators will look for, you know, unfamiliar card types, right? Like they'll, they'll target things like planeswalkers or things that haven't been done before because people don't know them. As a brewer, what do you look for? I mean, I think I look for cards that make me excited, and I think what makes me excited is something that maybe completes an idea. Like I can think of like the card Cloud Form from the new set. I mean, that card's exciting to me just because it it's what Mono Blue, Aggro, and Standard needs as a 3-drop to make Thassa or Master of Waves work. So it could be a card completes an idea, or a card could be exciting because it's just totally unlike anything, like Narset is, or whatever, or it evokes the memory of exciting cards like Genesis Wave, Mind's Desire. I mean, I look for anything, really. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I have a quick question for you, and I, I know, Castle. I'm sorry, I'm hogging all the screen time That's here, okay. but uh, I'm a total you degenerate. Have questions prepared. I just made an outline. I'm like a degenerate brewer here, so I, I just there's so many questions I want to ask you. Um, but uh, you had like a couple blue decks that you put online at least a year or two ago. I, I don't exactly remember when, but I remember watching the videos. I think one was called Cheap Dirty Blue, and one was called Ninja Delver. Uh huh. So those are both decks that are kind of taking advantage of like cheap weird blue effects or cantropy blue effects and things like that uh-huh. is that something you have a particular love for just the those those weird like uh jumping I think that's something around. you have a particular love for i definitely have a particular <laughs> love for it and i'm just wondering because i was so fascinated by those deck designs i mean for one i really like basics just because they're simple they're zero they're cost they, right. yeah they fill out a deck with with no cost so i mean that's a starting point and then from basics I recognize that I'm only playing one color, so I'm maybe underpowered, so I try to build on a curve. Generally a descending curve, which is something I'm trying to write more about, which is where you prioritize from turn one the most and then subsequently less on. For instance, a Ninja Bear Delver is stacked at the lands, stacked at one, and then the twos are less than the ones, the threes are less than the twos, the fours are less than threes, and so on. So like... That deck was really built on a curve, and it was built on islands, and it was built on a desire to connect with Ninja of Deep Hours. So, yeah, that card's pretty sweet. So, you, you just met, I mentioned the descending curve concept. Can you explain kind of some of the advantages to following that kind of path in deck building and making sure you look at a curve and how important that is? Yeah, okay. So, for instance, like, turn one we know for sure is going to happen. Probably. Right. (laughs) Unless you're playing uh, Amber the Bloom. (laughs) Right. So, like, I like to, if possible, prioritize for the turns that I absolutely know will happen. And then by the time, like, so, like, Hypnotic Siren for my one drop or, like, uh, Monster's Carabid for cycling my one drop. Right. So I try to build, like, with a low curve planning for turn one, turn two, and three. But then, ideally, those same cards that are the low plays can be the high plays, like Hypnotic Siren can be a bestow for 7 mana, or Monster's Carabid can be a play for 5 mana. Sure. So, like, that's one way to go. If we look at, at just what happens if you don't have a curve at all, we can look at Relentless Rats. Relentless Rats being the rats you can play any number of. Sure. And it costs 3. So if we play 24 Swamps and 36 Relentless Rats, we have no possible play turn 1. We have no possible play turn 2. Our turn three plays relentless rats. Our turn four plays relentless rats with one extra mana. Turn five is relentless with one extra mana. Sure, can't sure. Do, do two things till turn six, right? So like, um, just laying out a deck gives you a turn by turn plan, right? So. Well, what about uh, what was it? Demon at Deathgate, or what's the what's oh, the, the Shadowborn Apostle? Right, 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 right. That's <laughs> the same same concept. You could play all Shadowborn Apostles. Yeah, but those are one drops. So it's turn one one, turn two two, turn three three. <laughs> And then you sack six, right. get Runescar Demon, and play uh, um, Battle Wits. Sure. <laughs> Draw to eight cards, discard Shadowborn Apostle into the graveyard, play Surgical Extraction for free, removing 36 Shadowborn Apostles from your deck, play a Shadowrock Isle, digging up Emrakul, and then Emrakul on the third turn, so... That's another thing you can do. It's pretty good. It's pretty pretty darn good. So here's here's a question for you. You talk about curve. So sometimes awesome. you look at like um, 
pet cards, right? You're combining pet cards and you're imagining okay. magical Christmas land. You're going to curve out this card into this card, and then what what could you get out of it, right? So these are often two and three card combinations. Now, what I'm wondering okay. is, I'll give you a great example of something that's in my head right now. So I I love the card Batter Skull, and I'm a big fan of Grand Architect, and I'm always trying to figure out ways to get Batter to get value out of architect, architect, or just just to go turbo on those like big you know worm coil and and cards like that uh-huh. as quickly as possible. So in building something the other the other day, I was like, okay, rather than you know using signets to get to four man on turn three, why wouldn't I play Pentad Prism so I could absolutely get to Batter Skull on turn three? Mm-hmm. Do you ever look and say, well, Pentad Prism's not really that good of a card unless I'm going combo, but in the sense that I can get a Batter Skull on turn three, maybe it's worth playing in this deck. I mean, do you just go two card combination and kind of build around that combination? And I mean, and not in like an auto win two card combination, but just in a straight value combination like that. I mean, sure. I don't have a hard time making sense of that. But for one, Pantad Prism's a great card. Right. Battle School is a great card. And then I would maybe think about a third thing that bridges, like what combos with Pentad Prism and Batter School, because that w- that way we could make a deck. So sure. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Okay, so what we're probably going to do now is uh, Ben has a bunch of questions and he wants to see how many you can answer within uh, <laughs> we have a two minute rapid period. Rapid fire question yeah, round. And then uh, after that, let's get into like a full deck tech into living end. And then uh, that'll kind of be the episode. So let's. Okay. Got about 10 seconds to answer each one of these. Okay. Number one, favorite magic card? Uh, forest. Number two, who, who is one pro you would characterize as your arch nemesis? Uh, Cedric Phillips. I'm like an amicable Favorite breakfast cereal? Um, avocado. Say that again? I don't, I don't eat breakfast cereal. I had an avocado for breakfast today. Avocado's good. Uh, brew you are proudest of? Um, maybe 29 land destruction, or 29 lands, 31 land destruction for uh, 14 place of GPCL. I don't know. There's random that popped ahead. All right. West Coast or East Coast? Uh, depends where in the world, but I suppose West Coast, United States. You're a Seattle guy. Do you hate the rain? I enjoy the rain. It makes it easier to sleep at night, and also it makes the outside more private. There's fewer people. I'm also from Seattle. I moved to California. I hate the rain. <laughs> Least favorite sport? God, American football. Like <laughs> <laughs> We can no longer be friends. You don't like Seahawks? <laughs> uh, yeah, bandwagon fan? You're not a bandwagon fan at all? Good, good. <laughs> I, I, I have a problem with the NFL. All right, fair enough. Who was the best James Bond? Um, the actual James Bond, not any of the actors. Characters, a good one. Uh, who's the best Magic player in the world right now? That depends heavily on whatever it means to be best. As far as like tournament winning, I always cannot count out Yu Yu Watanabe. Yeah, he's really really good. Uh, least favorite Magic card of all time. Um, 
I can't really say that I dislike individual. There's an individual individual card I don't like. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you did well. You answered all my questions in uh, the appropriate amount of time. So thank you for that. <laughs> Generally, the way we go about the deck tech is we kind of we start with kind of what the game plan is and talking about what your main mode of operandi is. So uh-huh. do you want to kind of talk about what Living End's main game plan is kind of going about? Sure, yeah. So the foundation of the deck is the eight three-mana Cascade. There's four Violent Outbursts, four Demonic Dread. Is normally what I play, but there's other ones you can choose. And, and so, for, for those who don't know, Cascade is a mechanic that lets you, when you cast a spell, you reveal the top card of your library until you reveal a card that has a lower converted mana cost, and then you get to cast that for free also along with the spell you're casting. And it resolves sure. first. So the deck is constructed in a way that a three Cascade can only flip Living End. There's no ones or twos. You just start flipping from your deck, and you always hit Living End. So you have eight turn three plays that will destroy your opponent's board and give you a board. So, like, there's times where you got a six for one or a seven for one on the third turn and put 20 power into play. Right, and, and Living End lets you removes all creatures from play, uh-huh. puts all cards, all creature cards from graveyards into play. And normally by yeah, turn three, your opponent doesn't have that many creature cards in the graveyard and has a bunch in play, so it's generally good. And the good. reason that Living End, if anybody is curious, is able to be flipped, an effect like that is so powerful, is because it's one of those weird time spiral cards that has a spend cost but doesn't have an actual mana cost, so it oh. effectively costs zero. So you can flip it because it costs zero, though normally an effect like that would cost six or five or something. I like think that. the actual effect costs five from the original. Like, it's based off of the original card. Yeah. It's a glitch deck. It's a technicality deck. Like, it's hard to describe the deck in a way that makes sense because it's just based on the mechanics, right? Right. right. So, so it has the eight Cascaders and the Living Ends to flip, and then we can't play anything that costs one or two, but we can play things that we can, that cost more than one or two, but have modes for one or two. So, for instance, there's creatures that have Cycling, uh, Deadshot Minotaur, Monstrous Carabid for one mana we can throw in our graveyard and draw a card. Street Wraith for zero mana we can throw in our graveyard draw a card. Jungle Weaver for two mana. And these are all like big creatures or creatures with abilities. Um, so the deck's really consistent because it not only has eight ways to find a living end, but most of the deck just cycles to pick up more cards, which are lands or whatever. And when you cast your living end and kill their board and put in a giant board, you usually still have a full hand. So it's like... There's a lot of things that are awesome about the initial plan. Um, also, moving on from cycling, there's evoke. So, for instance, Shriek Maw can be played for two mana, one in a black, and comes into play, kills a creature, and then goes to the graveyard. Uh, Ingot Chewers, the same to kill an enchantment. So there's, um, I mean, there's other options. There's just a lot of ways to play, exp- to get expensive creatures directly into your graveyard in the first couple turns of the game in preparation for a living end. So, what would you say is the most important turn for this deck? Is it turn three, turn four? Um, yeah, it really depends what the opponent is doing. Like, Living End, I see it as generally as a control deck. If the opponent doesn't have anything in play, then you may not cast a Living End. Gotcha. Just because so, you're not getting value. Yeah, so, like, for instance, turn three is really important against a hyper-aggro deck, like Infect. Maybe you need to get out a quick instant speed by on outburst. But against a control deck with counters, maybe turn seven is very important, because on turn four, you can suspend Living End, which comes into play on turns five, six, turn seven. Turn seven, you have Living End coming in, you have six or seven mana to 
double play, cascade. Two three drops or play two spells and pay for a mana leak or whatever. So yeah, it just depends on the opponent for sure. Do you think that this is a resilient deck, or do you think that it's a deck that the right metagame can just make it total just crap? Well, the right metagame can make it total crap because it operates in a fashion where it's strong against creatures because it kills their creatures and you get stuff back. Like, it has bad, just horrible matchups like Burn. If Burn just casts seven lightning bolts, like, living in pays life and also... It's meant to take over the game. It doesn't usually actually win the game until, like, turn five at the earliest, really. So, like, there's certain matchups where it can be tough. The, and decks that don't play creature... If the metagame is no creatures, then Living End is not good. But generally, the metagame is full of creatures, and Living End is good. So, well, It's, like, a, um, a hyper-resilient deck that, you know, has instant speed board wipes at its fingertips at pretty much any moment past turn three. Yeah, I mean, I would describe it as hyper-resilient because the way, like, we can think about the low curve, like, hey, we have our ones, our twos, and our threes, but we also talk about the high curve. If the game goes long, and it often does because we're trying to control and flip the board, we can cast Jungle Weaver on turn seven. Five, seven reach is huge. Right. We can cast Deadshot Minotaur on turn five. Take that, Sage Rhino. Of secrets in the air. Like, so... Everything has two costs, so when the game goes long, we can do multiple things. We're not super dependent on living end necessarily, and we are resilient because hate cards like Scavenging Ooze is a creature that a living end can kill, or a card like Rest in Peace, which exiles our graveyard, it exiles their graveyard as well, so we can cast a living end and kill all their creatures over and over. So um, the deck is just comes from so many angles, and it's just... I don't know. I think it's pretty... Right. I mean, you can cycle through your deck really efficiently, and that that's always something to be really important and pay attention to, is the fact that, like, you have such a large amount of card draw. Like, your, your deck is... You're almost playing with a 40-card deck because every card draws the next card, and so you can dig for the pieces you need when you... Especially with sideboard cards or even just, like, the living end, the, the, the cascade cards you need to kind of cast them. And then even if they have hate against you, you just cast your giant dirtle. I mean, they're dirtly, but they're, like, eventually if you cast a 5-7 like or a 6-7, you're just going to win. And if they're just trying to control you out or they play a, a cyborg card that, like, kind of slows their game plan down, then you have the option to kind of, like, keep hating on them. Yeah, I also want to mention Fulminator Mage because that card is incredibly important to the deck. The three drop that blows up a land. So, like... Just killing two of the opponent's lands is so many lands, and right. it's just a lot of lands. Like, there's also land-dependent decks. Like, um, some decks are relying on Ink Moth or Blink Moth Nexus. Sometimes people have fragile mana bases, and, and or sometimes someone's reliant on double lands with Amulet or Dark Depths, for instance. So, like, Fulminator Mage is kind of, is pretty important in ensuring that. The game is won after living in. It just grinds their lands down. So, well, I mean, Blood Moon. Is, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Blood Moon. Blood Moon is obviously one of the most powerful cards in the format, and Full Manor Mage kind of does like a very similar, if not kind of more powerful version of what Blood Moon's trying to do. Especially with living in, so you kind of chain your full mana mages. Like you can cast the same full mana mage three times in a game. That's three lands out of their, you know, that they're not playing with, and you get to cast giant jungle weavers. Yeah, especially if they're trying to get to like four mana to play a splinter twin, 
or they're trying to cast multiple counters in one turn, or they're reliant on Gavany Township. It's just like Fulminator Mage blew into what forty, fifty dollars. Like it's, yeah, it's insane. It's a really good card, insane in the living end because it just keeps coming back. And modern is just so chock full of greedy, greedy mana bases. Yeah, because there's no wasteland. There's this card. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Living End also makes great use of Blood Moon. Living End can main deck it or board it. Right. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I feel like I sort of, I have a love-hate relationship to Blood Moon because obviously I hate losing to Blood Moon, but I love winning with Blood Moon, as most people do. And I, I, I've I, complained okay. before that I think it's a stupid card because I think it wins the game too easily. Uh, it could be banned. Say again? It should be banned. It's really stupid, non-thinking card. Yeah, exactly. It's like the last Pro Tour was basically one off of Blood Moon. Last two... Oh, no. Blue Moon didn't win, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's dumb. But anyway, all that said, (laughs) I I think it's fascinating that you can basically look at, like, ideas and you can go, well, I pretty much can play that four-color combination, or I'll just add a fifth color to it. Why not? Like, oh, I'll just take this Grixis deck and I'll just add white to it because it's just, I'll just, I can do that because it's modern. You can do anything. Right. Well, I mean, there's been a conversation a lot recently that like the fetch lands are a negative effect on modern. And I think the one of the reasons they let Blood Moon kind of stick around is it's one of the only good answers, legal and modern, to fetch lands. It's like the only way to punish people for being too greedy. It's true. It encourages people to play basics, which I suppose is good. So then, okay, real quick question, because we'll we'll sort of curtail the end of the... Have we well, covered the... Oh, we know. We have the did. gauntlet. So Let's do the gauntlet, and then I will ask you that question. Yeah, so the, the last part of every deck tech is we kind of go through the gauntlet of some of the big bads of the format, um, and like what the matchup would be, and how you would maybe sideboard, or how you would play against, or yeah. if it's just a bad matchup. So let's start with the big bad right now of the format, and that's Abzan. Abzan is an easy game. Like, anything that plays tons of creatures, so like... They can play Thoughtseize or Inquisition. They usually have six to eight to start the game, and they can take your Demonic Dread, but we have eight of those, and Recycling, like... And they usually don't have a fast clock. They're winning turn seven, maybe. So, like, we have so much time to draw into or deploy threats. Like, it's just really easy for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's possible to lose. Like, they do have Scavenging Ooze and a Quick Ooze, but again, we can... They usually only play a couple of those main... We might just kill it on a spot with Shriek Maw, or just cast Living End and kill it. Um, then our creatures come back, and they match up favorably versus Abzan's creatures. Um, Jungle Weaver is pretty good against Tarmogoy for Siege Rhino. Pale Recluse holds down the fort. And crucially, Street Wraith it cannot be blocked by that deck, and is just going to keep coming through. Um, we have Flying Blockers for Lingering Souls. Um, Liliana can fill their graveyard, but it fills our graveyard. It's not necessarily great against us. Um, well, they, don't, they, they like, play creatures, but they don't have, like, the same large amount of that compared to you. Like, almost every card in your deck is a creature. So even if they get, like, a Tarmogoyf into the graveyard when you living end, you're still probably coming up on top. Yeah, and we can win games on Fulminator Mage. Like, that's another deck that if it loses two lands is, like, can have a really hard time functioning. So, I mean... For this deck and the sideboard, I'd want to make sure that I had four Shriek mods just to make sure we can kill Ooze turn two, or like maybe Beast Within to kill Rest in Peace. Um, if I had Simeon Spirit Guides in the main, probably don't need them in the board, can take those out maybe. But I mean, in general, my tournament success against green-black decks with Living End is very, very high, and that includes Jund and Pod and Junk, so I mean, if it's a heavy Abzan field... 
living end could be well positioned. Like if you could be paired up against Abzan every time, you may be on pace to winning a tournament. So Yeah, they're they're their game plan isn't very good against your game plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um you okay. Uh next deck, uh Twin. The the Twins. winner of the last two tournaments. <laughs> Twin is important to know how to play against again with Living End and a lot of people shrug it off as a bad matchup, but it's like we're just trying to make the matchup as good as we can tactically. So the key here is Vinyl and Outburst with Simeon Spirit Guide. Bowen Everest is our best card against them by so much because it's an instant speed living end. So if they ever go for the end of turn Pestermite or whatever and tap out, we can just out. If, if we have Outburst, the, the game might just end. So they really need to respect that, and it makes the games go long with just staring contest. Like, if they're assuming they're aware that we have an instant speed Outburst, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, Fulminator Mage can keep them off four mana, um, but if we just develop our mana and never tap out, eventually maybe we can resolve something and win. Um, important, very important note is Simeon Spirit Guide is this can be used to just like manufacture wins. Um, there's situations where you can fake tap down and then file, fire off an outburst that it didn't look like you are able to cast. Especially if you have two Simeons, all you need is a Verdant Catacombs and two Simeons in hand. So like... Um, this matchup is definitely winnable. Key cards, the most key cards being Fulminator Mage, Violent uh, Outburst, Simeon Spirit Guide, and then any kind of instant speed interaction. So, like, Beast Within is good. Some people play Dismember or Sudden Death. Um, as for Hate from Them, I mean, people don't play Relic or Tormod Script too much. And if they do, those cards aren't unbeatable. It's like they remove your graveyard, you still kill things they have. And if it's in play, you know, so you can let the tournament script relic resolve and then cycle one or two more things. And so, right. Um, and, and twin. And, yeah, sorry, you go. <clears throat> that's about it. Like, twin is highly tactical matchup that is a lot of the time, if you win, it's going to feel really bad for them because they just walked into like spirit guide outburst. Right. Or got now screwed off Fulminator Mage. Well, I'd also imagine the fact that you interact purely on, like, an instant speed axis really, like, is your main advantage with Twin because that's one of the decks they have a problem with because they their advantage is the fact that they can interact on an instant speed or, like, during your end step and the fact that you can also, like, not cast spells so they can't cast anything to protect their combo and then you can just cycle a bunch of cards at the end of their turn and they're like, well, I don't have an advantage here anymore. So that probably gives you a couple advantage points. I mean, their best card is probably, like, Peak, because it just tells them what's up and how to play. Right. Um, so, next, Burn. The the one we, um, we kind of talked about already. Burn's, yeah, just horrendously bad. Like, I mean, you can beat it if you really want to. You can throw away lines in the sideboard or gnaw to the bone. But it's just fundamentally horrible. Like, it's been horrible because they're not super creature-reliant. They go to the base, and... Now that they have Eidolon, that thing does tons of damage, can do tons of damage. The game plan to winning against Burn is always through really getting value off living in it. Hopefully, I mean, like if Shriek Maw, Goblin Guide, or an Eidolon, or if you're able to living end two creatures, a Swift Spear, and a Goblin Guide, then maybe that's how you can win. But like, you really need outside assistance, if not to the bone. 
In the past, I've just scooped to burn in tournaments. I've only played it once. Um, if I had played it at this last Pro Tour and it's like 15% burn, that's just hostile metagame, I mean. Right. And you could stack your sideboard if you want, but like... It's definitely a bad matchup. You, you just call it yeah. a wash and hope to dodge it. Um, <clears throat> Infect. Infect. Similar to Twin, Simeons and Violent are the best thing. Like, you really want to have access to four Simeons and four Outbursts because you want to be able to Simeon Outburst during their turn as early as turn two to stop their pump. Um, playing an instant speed living end gets around, finds the vast wood, it gets around everything. So, like, right. if you string together a combination of Simeon Outburst, like, you should win almost every time. But if you don't, they're insanely fast um, and can kill you. So, I mean, whatever you can do to buy time, Shriek Moth can be good to kill a Glistener Elf. Fulminator Mage can be decent to kill Ink Moth Nexus. Um, Living End, just casting Living End can be good because 4 or 5 Breach Creature is pretty good at absorbing Infect. Um, cards like Blighted Agent and Distortion Strike are much harder to beat than cards like Rancor because you can't just put a butt in front of it. But, I mean, yeah, in general, just be prepared with the Simeons and the Outburst. And you could play something like Dismember 2, but Simeon's just the way to go, I think. That's fair. I think that card is generally kind of underutilized. I say this like every week. I think that you could probably find so many more uses for Simeon Spirit. Oh, right? yeah. Um, it's just an incredibly tricky card. Yeah, agreed. And then, so the last part of the gauntlet, uh, Amulet Bloom, the, uh, the new kid on the block. Yeah. Um, I have never played against it, so I have to think about it, but I have been thinking about it. Fulminate, yeah, okay, so f it should be easy. Like, for, I mean, may you can definitely lose. Like, Hive Mind, you can't pay for blue packs. You can pay for green packs. You can play pay for black packs. Right. Primable Titan dies to Living End. They get a backup Primable Titan, but is it bigger than the creatures you put into play? Uh, Fulminator Mage, you can just put it into play and wait for them to try to play a bounce land and kill it in response to the untap. And again, if they're operating through, like, playing... Trimoval Titan, like, that's just weak to living on. So, I mean, I'd have to think that it's favorable, but attacks can be crazy fast. So right. Well, I think you lose. you also mentioned, like, living end in the past and can, especially in the sideboard, and probably doesn't suffer, plays Blood Moons, and that's the by far best card against the Amulet Bloom decks, other than their speed. So I think that definitely gives a lot of it. Like, that's, like, it lost purely based off the fact that you know, the twin decks were playing Blood Moon in the Pro Tour. Yeah, and Living End happens to be a great Blood Moon deck because if you're playing Simeons for Twin and for Infect, then you have potential for turn one, turn two, Blood Moon. Right. Which is so good. Um, so, quick question to sort of bookend the, the uh -huh. Living End idea. They've talked, like, here and there, and there's been a lot of discussion about unbanning Ancestral Vision at some point. If Ancestral Vision were unbanned, would you just jam it in the deck? Would you just throw it in? Would you just make it work? I mean, it's turn three. The opponent's attacking you with a lethal, in fact, pumped creature, and you cast Violent Outburst, and you're hoping to hit Living End, or you're hoping to hit Ancestral Vision. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, do right. You, but do you throw it in the sideboard, so then you can bring it out if you're not against the deck like where you're going to need that kind of thing? Well, I mean, what's the game plan? Like... It's turn three against anything, and you are casting Outburst, and you have no idea whether it's going to draw three cards or whether it's going to kill the board and bring your stuff back. It has two drastically different effects. 
And like for Living End, the main thing about it is consistency. You have eight ways to cast Living End to Fair. your clan. Like you have eight ways that is it just like random. Like this deck already has a ton of card draw. I don't know how much with all that cycling, you like the three extra cards are really going to do for you. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're already if you're like the thing you want to draw into is a Cascade spell. So if you're cascading. Exactly. No, that's fair. I was just I was only asking because it's obviously an obscenely powerful card. Drawing three cards is generally pretty good in magic. Well, so mind you, I wouldn't be surprised if that card is unbanned at a different cascade based deck, but that's more of a value based deck yeah, and yeah, less yeah. of a combo over e control deck. <laughs> it was comes just out. A, it was literally just a question, not a suggestion. <laughs> uh, so the last bit of this, and this is we haven't talked about the sideboard, but I just want to ask from a brewer's point of view, sideboards I think tend to be a little bit more uniform than deck design, just because. There's specific hate cards that are just important against every... The two schools of thought are do you go high velocity, high impact against a few decks, or do you hedge your bets and try to go two or three against, you know... Wear and tear versus rest in peace. Yeah. So it's both. Like, I mean, you have a card like Simeon Spirit Guide, which is great against Twin, it's great against Infect, it's great against Amulet. So, I mean, that's something you'd want four of. You have, like, Shriek Maw, which is good against anything that plays non-black creatures, so maybe you want four of that. You have Ingot Chewer. If there's a lot of artifacts in the field and that has multiple uses, you'd want four, which has been key in the past, but right now is probably not necessary. But I mean, you have to balance that with the high-impact cards. And the, the high-impact cards in Living End are extremely high-impact because um, this has worked for me in tournaments in the past, is we have our eight Cascaders, so if we sideboard out all three Living Ends and put in one unbeatable hate card and Simeon Spirit Guide it into play on turn two, just win the match off cheese ball one card. Like, for instance, Storm has been traditionally unbeatable for Living End because it wins turn four and we win turn six and it doesn't play creatures or whatever. If we side out our Living Ends and turn two, just Simeon Spirit Guide into a rest in peace and exile their graveyard, shut down their Pyromancer Ascension, shut down their Pass and Flames. We may just win that on the spot. So, I mean, I've used that in the past. Yixla Jailer against Dredge. Right. Or Stony Silence, Kataki against Affinity. Yeah, that's so, really, it's really interesting to start playing, using those Cascade spells into more of a tutor package and a toolbox package versus a, like, the combo piece that they normally are, and you can kind of switch out and then just go for, I'm going to cast giant jungle weavers and you're going to lose because I cascaded into like this, you know, one of the white enchantments that no one can beat. Yeah, that seems really good. Yeah. It's super specialized. <laughs> yeah, so you can really specialize. And again, that's another reason why Simeon is good because if you go with the like Kataki, are we still going? Yeah, okay. If we go with the Kataki Stony Silence plan with four Simeons and eight Cascaders, you may just go turn one stony on the play, pass, like, or, yeah, it's just so fast. So those plans are great from living in, definitely. So we, we've covered your most famous deck. Uh, we've covered sideboard brewing. What's next for you in Magic? I mean, you, you obviously have a pretty, like, cushy kind of uh, place in the in the Magic Pantheon right now. It's just the premier kind of Brew wacky deck, yeah. deck builder. Yeah. Like, that's what people go to you for. What do you want to do next? So... That's a good question. I mean, I want to say that I don't think my position is super cushy because, like, <laughs> I do need to grind it out with passion every week, and I'm not, like, making a ton of money. I'm, I mean, I'm living, right. and I'm definitely happy with that. So, like, the game plan moving forward is to, one, just keep what I'm doing, um, just try to keep growing on social media and be in control of myself there. 
Um, but I'm really looking forward to putting out some more longer content, like ebook style, like creative deck building resources, oh, okay. stuff like that. Because that way, I mean, the articles I'm really pushed to have low um, word count, just to have you know, and keep pushing out like quick hits of decks or cards. But like, I think if I I want to be able to settle down and put out some longer resources that help people build decks. For one, that's just a helpful thing to do. And that seems like the natural way for me to move up and monetize this thing better. So, I mean, that's what I'm thinking right now. Um, yeah, that's I'm in the cool. early stages. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, that's cool. That's like that's a great idea. I mean, I think a lot, of, a lot of Magic players would be interested in having that sort of handbook. I mean, Chapin did a book a few years back that... I think was pretty well received for that same reason that, you know, if you, if, if there's somebody like yourself who is pretty well respected for your ideas and if you can put those into a handbook where somebody can sit down with a cup of coffee and read that, I think that that is a great idea. We'd well, love to help you promote that. If you do put it out, by the way, come back on here. Right. And, and, and I do think, I mean, that's why I think so many people have gravitized to or gravi gravitized toward you. I don't know if that's gravitated. the correct word. Gravitated towards <laughs> you. Thank you. <laughs> is like, there is, this school of thought where a lot of pros out there are like, okay, I need to build the most efficient deck possible and I need to make this so, but you, you definitely pushed the format towards a, I want to do the craziest possible thing from a crazy concept point. Like I, you know, I've seen videos where like no one has any lands in play, but you have 30, 20, 20s. And yeah. so like the situation, like a lot of deck build or a lot of players love those kind of decks and are looking for those kind of deck building perspectives. And you are one of the premier players that are kind of attacking formats w from that direction. And I think that's one of the reasons so many people love the content you're putting out there. I, I mean, including us. I mean, we we talk about Bruce probably once a month, and that's one of our, like, Ben's favorite thing to do. I get calls every morning from him being like, yo, okay, Grand Architect. They're always, they always start with Grand Architect. Bobble. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, Shackles, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, so I definitely think that's you know one of the good things you bring to Magic in general. And, and so I know we're going to wrap up now. We're kind of hitting our time limit. But where's the best place for people to kind of find you on the internet and and see kind of the content you're putting out there, etc., etc., etc. Twitter, <laughs> um, social media, Facebook and Twitter, Facebook.com or either Travis D will, would be the way to find me. Um, you can. Always catch me on channelfireball.com as well. And for as for Magic the Gathering, those are the main places. So, and for you know everyone who's interested in looking, if you go to the rocketjump.com website, we'll have links to your Twitch channel, your Twitter, and your Channel Fireball article like archive um, right there to make it really convenient for everyone. And then, yeah. you know, as always, I want to thank everyone out there for listening. Um, thank you, Travis, for coming on today. And the question of the day for any of you guys is. Is there a particular card you would be fascinated to hear Travis Wu brew with? Tweet at us at the at the MMcast. Uh, let well, us know. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll tweet it at Travis so he can see it and see if he wants to jump off the wall on that. And then, yeah, no um, promises for interaction, but we'll, also, we'll certainly try. I want to bring this up. If any of you guys out there have cool decks you are playing and you've kind of brewed, feel free to tweet us a deck list. We'll definitely love to listen to it or look at it. And then if it's something really interesting, we'll definitely even talk about it, maybe do a deck tech on it in one of our episodes. Yes, um, very, very curious to do. As always, follow us on Twitter. We're at the MMcast. I'm at Kess Wiley. And I'm at Ben Bateman Media. Travis? Yeah. What's your Twitter? <laughs> uh, Twitter.com slash Travis D. Will. Oh, me. perfect. And then, uh, 
you know, rate us on iTunes. Check us out. We're posting videos on YouTube every week now. And uh, make sure to check out The Command Zone, our sister podcast, uh, also on rocketdump.com. You can follow them on Twitter at, at uh, The Command Cast. Cool. I, I want to say much love to our listeners. You can definitely reach me on Facebook or Twitter, especially if you have some kind of wacky brew or something like that. I want to thank you guys for having me on, of course. And when this is done, let me know, and I'll link it out as well. So. For sure. Awesome. Definitely. Thanks, brother. We'll, Thanks. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Right. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.